Hi everyone. In this episode, we're going to be talking to What Carbon. What Carbon is a San Francisco-based company that focuses on building a clean energy platform that connects organization to carbon-free distributed energy resources. What does that mean? It means that on their marketplace, you can access a wide range of procurement op options, including renewable energy, demand response, and electrification projects. And as a building owner, or really as, as, a, as an organization, you can fund those projects and they can contribute to your net zero strategy. In a way, it's like planting a tree, but instead of planting a tree, you're actually funding the deployment of a heat pump or of a battery that can help provide the grid with clean energy at the time that is actually needed. They're going after the building sector emissions, which represent up to 40% of total emissions when you look at the, 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 the consumption of buildings and, and the CO2 emission associated with them. So this is a very exciting discussion. We go deep into the architecture of these markets with McGee, who has multiple climate tech startup experiences under his belt. If you enjoy this episode, please share it with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. It would massively help us and the founders who come on the show. And without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode with What Carbon. Hello and welcome everyone. I'm Nathan Pomart and this is Loose, the Climate Tech Podcast. Every week, we interview a founder and explore the stories, ideas, innovations, and businesses behind some of the most inspiring climate tech companies that have a tangible, positive impact on our planet. This show is designed to help you learn, instigate optimism, and inspire further action towards addressing the climate change challenge that we face as a global community. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or investor interested in learning more about the climate tech space and how you can play a part in it, this show is for you. McGee, great to have you on the show. Uh, I'm in Europe, you're in California, but we made it work despite the, the time difference. And you're building What, what, what Carbon, which uh, is a platform for procuring carbon-free energy and offsetting emissions through building decarbonization. So you'll have to help me break this down word by word. Welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for scheduling me in just before your weekend kicks off. Maggie, to get us started, tell us what is What Carbon and why and how you got excited about this opportunity. Yeah, thanks, Nathan. Well, What Carbon is a software platform. Uh, fundamentally, we're building infrastructure that would be needed to turn buildings into decarbonization assets. And, you know, what we mean by that is that if you look at, you know, globally, our GHG emissions, about 40% of them come from buildings. And that's, you know, most of that is in the energy that's used to, you know, keep your, keep your lights on, keep the building warm in the, in the wintertime and cool in the summertime, make sure you have hot water. And, and frankly, this is, you know, this is the low hanging fruit and the fight against climate change. Uh, so, you know, all of our models that we show, you know, where we keep global warming within reasonable levels, assume that we decarbonize buildings. Um, but the fact is, is that we're not really all that close. In the United States, we install about 20,000 natural gas furnaces and water heaters every single day. 
locking in you know millions of tons of CO2 over their lifetimes. And, um, and it's going to take about, you know, estimates range, you know, anywhere from 10 to $100 trillion of new capital in the next 15 to 20 years invested into the built environment. And so we needed a new, you know, we needed a new, a new set of systems uh, that would be in place that would allow you know, us to unlock the potential of the built environment for decarbonization. And so our, you know, our platform is, is our, our best effort to do that. And how does it work? Help me, help me understand. Well, there's a couple of different pieces to this. For the most part, we don't even know our our building's emissions. <laughs> That's you know when when you look at your utility bill from your power company, it might tell you your kilowatts, or you know mostly you just kind of look at it for how much you have to pay. But they don't do the work of telling you what your emissions look like. Um, the data to find that out is is available, but kind of hard to get. And so the you know the first thing that we built was a platform that would allow any building owner anywhere in the United States is strictly in the US for now to on demand get the emissions for their building. So just like they could get, you know, their energy use. And we felt like this is really important to kind of unlock the conversation. Uh, so so that organizations that have set net zero goals can actually know, you know, what they need to be able to do. And then from there, obviously the path is to net zero. Yeah. And um, oftentimes that too can be pretty intimidating. And a lot of folks, you know, nowadays look out at the carbon offset world and they think, well, that seems like a lot of uncertainty, you know, certainly some revelations recently that maybe it's a lot of scams actually. And there's a search now for something that's more authentic, uh, something that's transparent, auditable, measurable. So we give that, we provide that path to net zero for anybody who wants it, anybody who wants to start offsetting their emissions by facilitating investments into building decarbonization. And we track every single project that gets done so that the buyer has the confidence to go back to their stakeholders, whether that's their board, their auditors, maybe their government now, and, and demonstrate that they in fact have met those net zero goals that they've set out for themselves. What does it mean to invest in building decarbonization? Yeah, so so the way that we've set this up, it, it it kind of looks like a state energy office program where you might have an incentive for putting in a heat pump or uh, for installing solar panels or for shifting your energy use to times of the day in which the grid is cleaner. But rather than aiming that incentive at the end user, which is oftentimes where we where we do this, you know, in a in a public sense that oftentimes you end up just you know incentivizing people who are already going to do it right who who said hey i'd like some free money to help people like us right who have yeah. been thinking about this and and uh, care a lot about it but that's not really where the bottleneck is uh, the problem is is that somebody like you says hey i want to put in a heat pump and your contractor shows up and says actually let's stick with the natural gas furnace <laughs> because <laughs> the contractor finds it a lot easier to install a natural gas furnace, and they probably make more money off of it too. We're setting up our market to actually incentivize the contractor. All of the companies that are out there capable of doing this work, but maybe just don't or don't have the market share that they need to really expand their operations. And so by investing in, by, by purchase, by offsetting your emissions through our platform, it allows us to drive incentives at the companies that are doing the work that are so that, so that for every pound of carbon that they reduce, for every clean kilowatt hour that they're responsible for, they can get the incentive payment to them to allow them to grow their operations and to incentivize them 
to push those cleaner options for their customers. So if I put it in my own terms, on your platform, you have building owners who are interested in understanding the emissions of their building, and you give them the opportunity to decarbonize their, their building by purchasing projects such as heat pump installation or solar panel installation to uh, re reduce the footprint of, of their building and that uh, money gets spent on contractors who do the installation. Right. And oftentimes it's, it's the buildings are themselves. So if I'm, if I'm a, say a large university, yeah, it may be impractical for me to fully decarbonize all of my buildings all at once, but I might have a net zero goal today that I need to hit. And so recognizing that I can't fully decarbonize my own buildings, I might go look out into my community and help fund heat pump projects in homes and businesses around the community around me, counting their decarbonization against my net zero goals, goals while I'm in the process maybe of implementing, say, a five or 10 year plan for getting my own buildings to, to zero emissions. So it's a way for organizations that are limited in their, their ability to directly decarbonize their own footprint to find opportunities in their communities to have the same kind of impact that, that, that negates the footprint that they still have. So you mentioned universities and you mentioned larger organizations. Are those the, the target customers, let's say, or the target users of your platform that you're primarily targeting today? Yeah, for the most part, our platform is free for anybody to use. Uh, you can sign up, you can find out what your own building submissions are. You can even, we, we have it, you know, we call it one click to net zero. And so um, anybody can participate, but really the what's going to move the needle is these large organizations yeah. who are making these substantial commitments. Because frankly, our utilities, our governments just aren't moving fast enough. And yeah. Um, and we need, you know, the leadership that's being demonstrated by companies that are committing themselves to 24-7 carbon-free energy to 100% net zero to give them really, you know, better pathways to be impactful with the work that they're doing. And on the, the contractor side, do you work with a network of, of partners or it's also anyone who wants to sign up to deliver those projects? A really important part of the work that we do is, is um, measurement and verification. In the world of, of nature-based carbon offsets, this is called MRV, but in the world of energy, it's just called M and V. And so we, we work directly with the companies that are out doing the projects. Um, and those companies are important intermediaries, partly because they allow the program design ensures that there's, there's a term of art here called additionality. You wanna make sure that you're not just kind of doing things that already would have happened and so the contractors are an important intermediary um, to the end customer to ensure that additionality. But they're also important because they're a key conduit for the data that we need to do the measurement and verification. So every project that they do comes along a responsibility to provide us with quality data that allows us to perform the measurement and verification. Ultimately, the confidence that the buyer has and the confidence that the seller has is based on the availability of that information the transparency of the methods that are being used and the auditability so that, you know, if they get called into question, if this is real or not, um, they can point to, you know, the underlying analysis that's done to, to prove that those carbon savings are real. I imagine that's a big part of why a large organization would work with you as opposed to trying to implement this on their own, right? Yeah, it's, it turns out to be 
Uh, this so my my background before I did this company, I was the CTO of a company called Recurve. Yeah, and we built measurement and verification software for utilities, and we were the first company to deploy open source code and methodology using smart meter data to provide utilities with an alternative to what they were using before, which is kind of deemed what they would call deemed savings. So they would just kind of make up a number and say that represents a light bulb is worth X amount of savings and a you know yeah. air conditioner is worth X amount of savings. And it's kind of like what happens a lot of cases with nature-based offsets. Is yeah. there somebody just kind of declares this is how much an acre of trees is worth, whether or not that's actually true or not. The one of the really attractive, besides the the direct impact that we get from actually decarbonizing buildings, one of the really attractive features of energy decarbonization is the measurement and verification piece. But it's complicated, and it, you know, and and if you if you if you're not familiar with kind of the nuances of doing it the right way it can quickly get overwhelming. Um, and so I think a lot of organizations don't have that capacity in-house and are looking for a trusted third party that knows how to do that type of work, um, but can also do it in a way that facilitates action on their part. So how do you do it? Well, there's a couple of pieces to this that are important. So on the one hand, you have the buildings themselves, right? So if you've got a project going on a heat pump or solar panels or somebody's participating in a demand response program where they're lowering their energy use during you know, particularly dirty parts of the day, a lot of this is based on the creation of a, of a counterfactual. So how much energy would be used <laughs> if the intervention hadn't taken place? And the methods that we spent five years developing and are now in the, in the Linux Foundation and LF Energy, which is the open source repository for their energy programs, provide a way to kind of consistently, transparently, in a standardized way, calculate that counterfactual using exogenous data like weather, for example. So we know that when it's hotter out, you know, a building is going to use more energy. That's, that's fairly predictable, in fact. And this is a big step forward from saying, you know, all thermostats are responsible for like X amount of kilowatt hours. It's like, actually, it really depends yeah. on how hot it is outside, right? Um, and then on the on the grid side, we need to know what the carbon emissions of the grid are if we're gonna make that equivalency from, from the electricity. And that requires linking into grid carbon emissions data. Yeah. So in the United States, the Energy Information Agency of the US government collects that from grid operators on an hourly basis and publishes it nightly. Um, so we, of course, they publish it in Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> so we have to download all of those, you know, there's 65 different balancing authorities in the United States. Yeah. We have to download all of those Excel spreadsheets every night, pull them into a database, clean them and everything. But that's fine. That's just software. Europe, uh, INSOE is the, the main organization that provides grid carbon emissions data in Europe. We're actually working within LF Energy. With, there's an open source project today called the Carbon Data Specification Consortium, which is trying to develop better standards, more rigorous standards for these reporting agencies to report out their data, their carbon emissions data in a standard consistent format so that more organizations can have access to this data and be able to incorporate it into their own analysis and their own projects that they're working on. So the grid side is really important also as we're fundamentally on both sides, you need this data to be publicly available, transparent and auditable so that we all have confidence in the numbers that we're generating. Isn't there a third element to this equation, which is on the proof of work to, to use a, 
a term that's probably been used so much in, in crypto by now, but um, don't you need to certify that the work has been done to install the heat pump? And do you play a role there as well? A little bit. Uh, there's there's definitely some, I guess you call it more you know manual right. proof. Like you take a picture <laughs> of uh, the completed project. You need to uh, certify the the size of the unit that was installed, but fundamentally this shows up in the data. Right. Yeah. It shows up in your energy. Shows right? up in so, your reduced demand profile. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So we, we, we like to have both because it kind of corroborates the story. But even if you say, hey, I did this great project and nothing shows up in your energy energy data, you don't get any credit for it. Right, right, right. And so I, I'm still trying to put the different pieces of the puzzle together. So Let's take a, uh, an example user who is a university and they are doing a combination of projects on their own real estate and funding projects in their community that shows up in, you know, the, the, the demand data. And therefore they can say, well, we've reduced our energy footprint by X and then what it's, it's kind of, um, that's the end of the story or, or do, what what do they do with that claim? Is is that something they use to get some funding from external authorities or to get some to sell some carbon credits, or is it simply kind of something they show to their board to say that I mean that they are making progress? Simply being overused here, like that's that's already a very good uh, thing to do. I mean, I think that's that's it, though, right? Right. Like we're we're facing this kind of ex existential challenge and we can either wait for the governments and our utilities to act and to require us to do things yeah or we can take the initiative ourselves yeah and you know when a university for example makes a net zero commitment what they're saying is that we're going to reduce our own emissions as much as we possibly can and the rest we're going to find other ways of mitigating our impact whether that's buying some forest offsets somewhere or making an investment in our local community. Yeah. And when they report that back, you know, to their board, put this on their ESG report, you know, pretty soon in the, in both the EU and in the United States, you'll be reporting this to um, government authorities. You know, where are you at with your scope one, scope yeah. two, scope three, possibly emissions. They want to be able to say, Hey, we we're at net zero, right? We've, we've, reduced our own emissions liability by putting in solar panels, by electrifying our buildings, by shifting load to when clean energy is available. But to the extent that we're unable to do that at 100%, we found opportunities in our community to help them lower their energy use or put solar panels up or put in heat pumps. And we've quantified that so that those numbers equal each other, Yeah. right? And so now we can, with a lot of confidence, say we are actually a net zero organization. And, and today, where are you in terms of user adoption for what carbon? Are you running pilot projects or are you working with live customers? Of what, how much feedback did you get from, from the market for, for this solution? Yeah, it's really incredible. We spent, you know, the first year building the software infrastructure to be able to do all this. So we yeah. were kind of like, we had some customers that were just using our platform for that purpose, right? Because they needed to be able, they wanted to be able to quantify their uh, emissions. We had real estate companies using it to help 
as part of the due diligence and you know real estate transactions. Uh, we had companies that were building solar farms and wind farms, trying to figure out where the most impactful places they could build these renewable energy facilities. And then we started to kind of build in the markets, the, the supply side of the market, you know, mostly last, I'd say last fall. And we got the largest developer of community solar in the U.S. On, onto our platform. We got one of the largest aggregators of demand response resources onto our platform. We got the largest developer of residential ground source heat pumps onto our platform. And all of these companies realizing that existing energy markets were underserving them. Yeah. Right. The value proposition that they could make to their customers was like, I can save you a little bit of money on your bills, maybe. And then the energy side, it was like, well, you're getting the same value as if you were a natural gas or a coal fired power plant. There's no incentive there in the energy market for it being clean, per se. Right. And so yeah. they all realized that there's this extraordinary opportunity to value the clean energy attributes specifically of this work that's getting done. And now that we've kind of launched this publicly, on the other side, the buyer side is really exciting. Uh, so we're seeing both the kind of institutional customers that I was describing earlier, as well as, I mean, this is kind of in, an interesting phenomenon that I'm not sure what to make of it yet, but there's a lot of folks who say this and go, wow, this is a really undervalued asset class. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're sort of like, how do I make investments into these projects to reduce the carbon emissions, because I know that while today, you know, it's, you know, kind of overlooked, like this is going to be a really huge part of our future in the next, you know, so there, there's a lot, I think a lot of really kind of interesting opportunities in the financing of these projects that yield both energy savings, but also those carbon emission reductions that um, can go onto somebody's books. Uh, so we're, we're sort of seeing, you know, you kind of put the stuff out there and um, see what comes comes sure. of it. And a lot of it is exactly what we expected, but also a fair amount of the unexpected uh, happening as well. Yeah, for sure. The, 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 the new asset class components introduces another layer, which, which I hadn't appreciated until now, which is uh, the possibility of getting a return, right? As opposed to simply spending on a, on, on a, on a project. And so very tangibly, are you enabling that? Are, can I make money by, by kind of funding some of the projects you, you have on the, on the marketplace? And, and if so, how? Not yet, okay. um, but we're, but we're thinking about it. Uh, we're, yeah. we're definitely, um, a lot of these are going to have an embedded return, an sure. inherent return. But then there's also the kind of the speculative aspect of the carbon value yeah. of that. It's probably not there today, but it's quantified, it's measured, it's you know, it's it's a thing, right? Yes. And so um, I, I suspect it won't be too long before that's it's commonplace yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. to be able to make these investments and be able to um, monetize both the energy savings as well as the carbon savings. Yes, you could say in a way probably is of a higher standard than some of those nature-based credits that, that that were exposed exposed recently. So why shouldn't it get the same type of um, of, of valuation and, and kind of come in as part of this carbon offset market? Yeah, I mean it's it solves all, like the, all these questions that swirl up. Not not just the the you know fraud that happens, the outright fraud, but there's questions of permanence yeah. and leakage and you know, like. 
that just doesn't happen with built like once you install a heat pump it's not like you can it doesn't get uninstalled very easily right yeah, yeah. or you can't you know you put solar panels on and those they just work they just they burn less a lot less frequently frequently than trees <laughs> exactly exactly so and it's 40% of our emissions. And so like if we can, and, and it's probably closer to half if you include, you know, the secondary effects of transporting all of the fossil fuels that are required to power all these buildings in the first place. Yeah. And so if we can solve for that, uh, we really do take a big chunk out of the climate change problem. Yeah. How does your experience at Recarve feed into this? And if, what did you learn there that you transpose into this the, the the story of wet carbon it's a great question i think um to some extent you know when i when i first started at recurve before i did recurve i did a company called meter hero and we were trying to do a lot of the same kinds of concepts that we're doing now back then but it was way too early for a couple of reasons importantly i didn't know how to do measurement and verification the right way and so it, it took the five years at recurve of really learning that craft all of the you know nuances from our peers, companies that we were working with, regulators that we were working with, how to do that in a way that could actually be scalable, right? Could actually, and, and, and inspired confidence um, from the market. So that was the first thing was really just kind of the education that I got, you know, implementing new measurement and verification protocols. And the second was, was building the market. Uh, so at, at Recurve, we launched the first demand flexibility markets for utilities in which we we allowed the utility to kind of flip its model from a customer-based incentive to the sort of like um, contractor-based incentive and and opened up the market to utility programs to any company that was able to deliver energy savings and to value those energy savings at the times of day in which that energy was most valuable so instead of just kind of giving somebody a blanket rebate for something is if you delivered energy at you know seven o'clock at night when the grid was constrained that would be worth a lot more to a utility than say like 10 o'clock in the morning when we have not too much demand and lots of solar the problem with the utilities is that they value this as an energy resource first and foremost so the decarbonization side is mostly kind of lost on the utility and you really have to like fight to get those values included in the cost metric for the utility. They just don't, they just don't really, unless the regulators force them to California a little bit, you know, some places, New York, Massachusetts. Um, and so that's really frustrating, right? To, to kind of have to continue to perpetuate the utility centric model for distributed energy. We, you know, we build these VPPs, these virtual power plants and then sell them to utilities and they sit on the sidelines for most of the year, right? They're just, you know, it's, it's in case of, in case of emergency break glass kind of a thing for utilities. So like only when we have those really hot days, does the utility say, Hey, now we're willing to, you know, tap into distributed energy resources because it's, it's profitable for us. Yeah. Yeah. And I think of it as, Hey, there's this incredible resource of demand side energy resources that could be tapped into to decarbonize our energy systems today and at scale. If we can find a better off taker for that, you know, and, and we think it's the private sector, right? Uh, if we can make VPPs available to anybody and put them to use as decarbonization assets, 
then all of a sudden we leapfrog the pace that the utilities are deploying these and and, and the value that we can that we can deliver for VPPs, which then in turn allow the companies that are building these technologies to go out and deploy them in mass. So you're not sitting around waiting, you know, like onesie twosie trying to get somebody to put in a, a battery or put on solar panels, but we're really doing this at, at a pace that can meet our decarbonization goals. McGee, for, for those less familiar with it, what is a VPP? What is a virtual power plant? <laughs> yeah, sorry, it's it's easy to slip into this and to the, the lingo. Um, so a virtual, the idea behind a virtual power plant is that you've got a bunch of distributed energy resources that are, and by distributed, we mean, you know, a battery or a solar panel or a smart thermostat that are in a bunch of different locations yeah. on, in houses and in, in schools, in businesses, and they are equipped with communication and, and control so that at particular times of day, they can be activated to provide energy services. So a battery might be activated to deploy back into the grid or a smart vehicle charger might be deployed to moderate the rate at which a vehicle is being charged. Or if the vehicle is capable of feeding back into the grid, it might be able to. You know, one of the really exciting things about this is that because you can kind of match these up with each other, you can actually achieve a 24 by seven, You know, every single hour of the day, every single day of the year, you can make clean energy possible to any organization by tapping into virtual power plants. Yeah. And I think that's a really exciting difference to a utility that may just kind of tap into it here and there. And why does the utility only tap into it? You, you said only in like exceptional circumstances. Is it because for the utility, this is the, the highest cost energy asset to access and if and if so why is that why is it the highest cost from a utility standpoint um partly because they don't make a return on investment right so they make a return on on investment and on on capital and it's not really their capital so they're not you know fundamentally they don't really love it you know we see in california for example net energy metering reforms happening that are very biased towards the utility towards utility scale solar as opposed to distributed solar on residential houses. And um, this is common, in fact, across the US. It is, it can be a little bit more expensive, although it doesn't have to be. And they've got legacy, you know, systems in place that they're just more comfortable turning on gas, yeah, gas fired centralized power plants. That's what they do, right? This yeah. is, it's, it's in their DNA to like build, to, to run systems that way. So it's harder yeah. for them to operate in this distributed capacity. That's also because they don't have much of a GHG price signal that they're responding to. And so they just, it, it doesn't matter. Energy is energy to them, whether or not it's clean or dirty. For the rest of us, it matters a lot more. Yeah, yeah. McGee, with the round that you just raised, what is your plan? Where are you going to deploy the capital? What, what are the next steps on your, on your roadmap? that you'd like to hit with uh, with that race? We're really excited about building out the, the market for sure. Uh, we think of this as kind of like um, a virtual Costco. I don't, you guys don't have Costco's. Do you have Costco's in, in Spain? We have equivalents of Costco's. I just recently moved here, so okay. I don't know what, the, what they're called. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, but you can imagine, you know, you walk into a Costco and you have everything you could possibly want in large quantities. And so we built a cost, we're building a Costco and right now 
in our Costco, there's a couple of TVs. Yeah. And that's it. Right. So we've, we've got to go in and, and bring all of these you know, demand side resources, make them available to our, our customers so that when you walk in, you're like, oh, my gosh, there's everything here I could possibly want. Yeah. That I think is it's going to be the big challenge, you know, the big opportunity over the next year. And, the, and then, you know, the buyers are coming along. Right. So right now it's we're finding people who want to buy TVs and saying, hey, come, you know, but eventually you're going to see uh, companies that are interested in green hydrogen or in um, EV charging or in, in things that we don't do now. And, and yeah. I think that's the, the really the exciting part of the vision is as you as you look around into the built environment and you realize all the ways that we can enable decarbonization, that can all be part of the marketplace and that can all we can build a new clean energy market yeah. around all of those resources. That's super exciting. I definitely will keep an eye on, on how this is going. And um, I'm sure we can talk again in a year time and, and hear, you know, about all these new TVs that are in your shop. <laughs> Not that I support TVs. You've yeah. got little kids. Don't let them watch. TV, no, yeah, you know? yeah. All right. It was, it was a pleasure um, talking to you and, and learning about what you're building. And um, I'm rooting for you and your team. Hope to have you back soon. Thanks, Nathan. I really appreciate being on the show. Good luck with it. Thank you. You can find out more about What Carbon on their podcast, whatcarbon.com. If you feel inspired by their mission, check out their career page as they just recently raised a round and will be looking to, to hire. Finally, if you enjoy the show, share it with your friends and colleagues. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. It will massively help us and the founders who come on the show. And stay tuned for more conversations with other inspiring climate tech founders.